After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling, and I am with my very great friend, as they say in India, very great, <laughs> Danielle Ananda Credic. give me another name. Cobb. Cobb, yeah. right, because she got married yeah. in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. No, had a baby. You did, you did it all in the midst of all of this stuff. Maharaji and, brought it all in strong. New yeah. names, new life, the whole thing. I should tell this. Actually, I should tell the story of how we met a little bit, right? Danielle has an incredible lab at uh, Google, and Empathy Lab, and uh, which she started. So I didn't know Danielle Ananda. Ramdas gave her that name. Uh, I didn't know her from a hole in the wall, and we were at a retreat with Ram Das and Krishna Das a few years ago, and uh, suddenly, everywhere I go, Danielle Ananda is showing up, and I'm like, well, this is great, you know, very lovely young woman, no problem, <laughs> and then it was, okay, we got to talk, we got to talk, we got to talk. And, uh, of course, she really wanted to have access to what Ramdas represented because she had really gotten far into the teachings prior, many years prior, right? And, many years, uh, many years. So, so then we had this funny thing because she would say, okay, your stalker's here. Let's sit down and talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyhow that was the beginning of uh yeah we've had some great fun done some great things together and uh i'm expecting we will continue into the future and i said look we just got to have a we got to wrap on a podcast because there are so many things that are that are uh, important to ramdas and to what he represents and our ongoing uh, game of sharing this, which is what he was all about. So, it's funny. I, I remember that time so well, because it's like, and I remember that first retreat, the moment where Ram Dass said, I am just the worm on the hook. What mm -hmm. you're feeling is Maharaji. And it's like the moment that that tug on the line really comes for you. I, I was having that moment right then, which is why I was so fiercely intent because mm. I was feeling that thing you guys felt when you first were in Kenchi and, mm. you know, all the spots you followed uh, or chased Maharaji to where it's like, this is the only room I want to be in. This is the only conversation I want to have. I can't talk about anything else. I can't be with anyone else. And unfortunately, you know, you were the one who I <laughs> was like, Raghu, You're we it. must talk because, because it <laughs> felt like, um, it felt like, I mean, and I have to thank Jack Cornfield too, because the way that I found myself at that retreat was I, um, was on vacation and I'd saved going home for vacation. Cause I knew I was going to fall apart when I watched it. I just felt it coming for me, the inevitability of that heart opening and, I cried my eyes out and watched it a couple times. And then I wrote Jack and I was like, I have no idea how to get on the retreat. It's sold out. Um, 
but I'm feeling the call. Is this the call? Is this what I think it is? And he was like, all right, I'm going to connect you to Ragu. So it's like all roads led to Ragu. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was just so clear to me that I'd read Be Here Now in my teens and I'd, and again in college and again, you know, actually right before I founded the lab, I like amazingly the the, the kind of principles I founded Google Empathy Lab on were, and I didn't even know Danny was with you guys at that point. Danny I knew Goldman. Danny is EQ guy, but it was like Ramdas and Danny. It was like the model was the kind of what happened at Harvard and, you know, the idea of emotional intelligence and technology. And so, of course, now looking back, it all makes sense and it's all the same thing and subek, but um, what a trip. And so, yeah. Mm. You know, it's funny because we just uh, I did a podcast with uh, Danny, Krishnadas, Ramesh, and myself because Danny's doing a memoir and he, yeah, he just wanted to get together and, and get refreshed on the happenings of the ore. And uh, so in it, he talked about, he said, I actually, I've started the book with my first meeting with meeting Ramdas and so on. He described that whole thing and how he got him back to Harvard and everything. It's really, it's kind of a fun podcast. You, you all can listen to it out there. It's up. Um, so Google Empathy Lab, though, just um, a, a little bit of a defining. Well, A, yeah, what, I, I know you're saying that some of what Danny did and what he represents around emotional intelligence and of course, Ramdas's basic unconditional love, compassion legacy. And uh, okay, that's a jumping-off point. How did we get <laughs> to Google Empathy? <laughs> um, well, I've been in technology for like twenty years. I was at Apple before Google, and and um, have been around for some kind of epic moments uh, in terms of things launching out into the universe. And one of them was the iPhone. And I think what was interesting is I was in my 20s with Steve at that moment, Steve Jobs. And um, when it came out, I was just so brimming with hope and possibility and optimism. And just like computers are a bicycle for the mind. How can this be this, this liberating thing where we're not chained to computers? And it's like the kind of sunny optimism of a young mind that can make that mistake. And then in the decade following it, doing the work that I did, I saw all the unintended consequences. And the, you know, it's not just the phone, it's kind of social media, there are just all of these um, ways in which these devices and these technologies creep into our lives and steal a bit from us and distract us. And so the idea of the deep indwelling wholeness that we are all born with, and can get knocked out of us, or we can get banged up and bruised by life and lose our remembrance of it, what I didn't love was that technology was selfish and kind of in its own set of agendas and even trying to do the right thing somehow doesn't always, you know, intention can be flawed. There was this space where there are all these brilliant people coming up with incredible inventions that were meant to serve people, but they were being born from kind of the neck up in this real cognitive intellectual space. So they're genius solutions to hard problems, but they're not taking care of everything from the neck down. And we know it's like not just the spiritual, emotional, physical heart that beats us. It's how to take care and restore the wholeness, how to do it with humor, how to do it with, you know, that compassion and wisdom of heart. And I think for, for me, I got to a place where the Empathy Lab was born because I, I couldn't really stand pretending like that wasn't the case. I couldn't like stand the pretending that I was just going to come to work and do smart things and feel, try to feel good about that. It was just, it just felt like such bullshit and such a lie. And um, it became this, this moment where I was working at Google X, which is kind of where the self-driving cars and all the moonshots come from. And, and I was looking at some of the things we were doing and just saying, isn't there another way? Can't we just allow more of ourselves in the room? Can't we be all of who we are? Can't we acknowledge our feelings? Can't we acknowledge the feelings of the people on the other side? And my favorite example is, you know, and this is like the unsexiest thing you could possibly talk about, but like I was um, helping someone who was working on calendar stuff, like, you know, just calendar. <laughs> and 
she was talking about this woman who was getting a divorce and would schedule a little bit of time right before she was going to drop her son off and pick her son up from her exes. And that time was so she could get present, check in with herself, get it together so she could show up for her son and not let everything else bleed into that moment. And I was like, that is not a calendar appointment. That is another thing entirely. How do, how do I get more people to pay attention to and take care of that? And so the Empathy Lab was born from this space of how can technology be more humane and, and more the way that we really are, not even the way that we think we are. So that was like the longest answer everywhere ever. It was more Hemingway than haiku. So forgive me. <laughs> I can't imagine, though, you going into executive's office at Google and gave that rap and they went, Okay, it's a great idea. Get out there and do it. And here's a whole pile of money. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? It's funny. I used to joke in the beginning, my meetings with executives, I'd come in with so much neuroscience and so much kind of evolutionary. Bio I would talk about neurobiology a lot. And when you speak science, a trust kind of enters the room like a sweet <laughs> perfume for scientists and technologists. And it's like, you know, it's like that great story that Patanjali tells of how like the snake has to have a thousand heads and that's why the screen so that the students can be spoken to with the mouth that needs to speak to that one ear. It's like Google speaks the language of science. So I spoke the language of science, but mm. I joke that the goal of the meeting was to speak science. Because if I were just to walk into a room and say like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about feelings. Like people would just internally liquefy and their places would melt like the Ark of the Covenant scene in, in Raiders. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it took a lot of science, but there's, there's a thing that happened when like the Google microphone went on and there was the Google assistant and Siri and Alexa and you get to this place where this isn't just products, this isn't just AI, it's presences. We're literally designing these beings, these ambient, invisible, intangible beings that can't help but hit the deeper, invisible, intangible parts of ourselves. And that's why we have to care for the invisible in a, in a way that... Um, in a way that folks in technology, you don't learn these things in computer science programs. You, we, we know you don't even learn, learn these things in liberal arts or humanities programs. You learn this the hard way by being a human on earth. And to bring those lessons in is so critical for all these like huge technologies. It's, it's why at the Nobel table, they're poets and peacemakers. It's not all scientists. Mm. You know, And it's, it's, it's why like Ram Dass went on the second chapter of his hero's journey. It's why Harvard happening was the best thing ever because it brought him to India. It's like the journey outside of the space, you know, is the one that will take you to the place you really want to go. And Google sometimes gets that. <laughs> you know, it's when you, what really triggered me when we decided, Hey, let's uh, see what we can do together here was the idea of informing those wonderful scientists uh, about the reality that can work step by step and alongside of the science, which is mm -hmm. what's really real that holds this whole universe together, which is, there is no great word for it, but uh, the... Un uh, Maharaji said love is more powerful than electricity. So mm. that's a very, I mean, from mm. him, it was the most profound thing. And I'm saying it and it's not as profound. But the reality is we do know the power of uh, love, especially what we're really talking about, of course, is unconditional love, which is synonymous with real compassion. And don't we want that in our machines as time goes on? Uh, yeah, talk a little bit about what, what your idea was related to helping everyone out, all the science guys. Well, I think it's this, I mean, Ram Dass in the film that we ended up making together, all of us, um, says, you know, intellect is just one way of knowing the world, but you also know the world through your heart. And that lens, that portal, that opening has no boundaries and it's a way that you feel the universe by being one with it. And I think what's interesting is 
uh, I was just having a conversation actually with some of our AI scientists yesterday. And what's so interesting is there, you, science loves to have hypotheses that sometimes look like facts, but the mystery and the poetry is never not there. It's do you have the courage as a scientist to point at it and say, I have no idea what happens there. Is the cat dead or alive? We know quantum physics describes the world, but we don't exactly know why. We just know there are these rules. And it's this kind of like intrepid heart that says, I'm going to pass through that space, even though I don't understand it, because magic always lies on the other side of mystery. And I think so what again it's like what language are you speaking because it's always the it's always the invisible glue that that unconditional love the 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 nature of interconnection is and and actually there's so many people that do brilliant work that I've I've like met through the work like this man David Sloan Wilson who's an evolutionary biologist and he talks about how you know everything in history is a footnote to the one specific evolutionary trait of our planet and even of our galaxy, which is that cooperation always wins. Mm. And I look at these like lessons that are taught to us by nature. It's like honeybees and voles and whales. You know, there's that beautiful show right now called Secrets of the Whales. It's like communication and culture. And it's like, what's the flavor of interconnectedness? And I think the the core of the like kind of in the periodic table of interconnectedness, carbon is love. It is the thing that makes us all up. And when you think of love, like scientifically or in terms of its like, you know, kind of molecular makeup, if you want to go that way with it, it's just the thing that brings things together. It's the thing that makes everything one thing and something that naturally shares and works works together flourishing thriving and I think so it's interesting because I find myself like Harry Potter style speaking one language and then speaking parcel tongue and then speaking but it's always talking about the same thing and what surprises me the most is just when you think you're talking about science someone will talk about their son or daughter or a moment that they had in the ocean and that's when you know they're talking about the thing that we all talk about when we talk about you know, step back and what it means to be in, in the heart of true love. Mm, yeah. So this all led actually and and undimensioned it into a film that she was wanting to do at Google. And it's interesting because right around the same time we were putting out a film, the film becoming nobody which was a um, co-presentation, actually, with Google Empathy Lab and Love Server Member Foundation. I'm sure many of you know of it. And if you don't know of it, boy, you better find it because it is really <laughs> fantastic. Um, of course, I'm completely subjective, but I don't care. Uh, yeah, I, my testament also to that uh, life-changing magic is, is totally biased, but yeah, best thing uh, ever. But um, the idea that you had was to really have Ramdas who uh, represent uh, who he is and where he came from into the, the idea of uh, what's going on with technology. And, you know, it's funny because uh, I was thinking about, I'm doing another in, podcast uh, we're going to put out with Ramdas. Um, I never heard it. It's from like 1969. You know, our mm. wonderful curator, Nathan, he finds this stuff. It's just amazing. And uh, He's your essence hunter. <laughs> yeah, yes. But it's so in it. So just to give you a little, it's just an example of how what was found to fit perfectly and was uh, with Ramdas in terms of this little film um, and found from decades ago some talk that he gave that you found, I believe. And so here, 
how prescient was it? And we're gonna we're gonna play the audio the first few minutes, and we'll give you a link to the film, everybody, because it's uh, quite beautiful and really hasn't gotten out there the way it needs to. And we're gonna do something about that this year. Uh, but um, somebody asked a question to Ramdas about Hitler. Okay, it was about what is it? Should Hitler have done what he did? <laughs> well, how? <laughs> yeah. And so, but it was more the question about um, what is really going on when this kind of huge, in this case, ca ca catastrophic event in human with in the in the middle of humanity's weird um, evolvement, right? And so. He said, well, just think of it this way. You make the choice to ask that question, okay? Somehow, right? Uh, but the fact that the whole thing was built into you to ask that question at that moment is part of this deal. And the question did not just come out of nowhere. It came out of a whole set of probabilistic, probabilistic things in you, meaning karma, causes and conditions, interconnectivity with everything around you and and so on and so forth and then so he then started talking about the power of natural forces we are all contributing the people in germany contributed at that time uh we've just i mean i don't want i don't want to upset anybody and make the comparison but we just went through you know something with somebody who uh, obviously was fairly despotic you know didn't do that kind of damage obviously uh, but we we made this happen. We make the the whole thing with, um, of course, racial justice and what's gone on with George Floyd and all of that. Four hundred, four five hundred years. This has been gestating and um, proceeding. Uh, now it's not even subtle anymore. You know, we used to think, well, it's not that out front, like nobody's a slave anymore, but it's not, and. This is our collective. So this is what Ramdas was talking about. So he got to a point in in uh, what he was saying. He started to talk about natural forces, how nature, how everything contributes to the eruptions that that happen on this planet, and include and our desire is a big part of it. In whatever way our desires manifest, any any and what's the next thing he mentioned? Like epidemics. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Mm. Right. Yeah, 10,000 horrible visions and mm. but, uh, but visions. Yeah, just Ramdas, though, uh, the stuff from, this is 1969. Not that there hasn't been pandemics before, but nothing like this in our lifetime uh, beyond that 1918 thing. So, so we set out uh, and um, let's just play the first uh, couple of minutes of this to give you an idea of, of what it is. Awesome. Hitler did what he did, and you do what you do, and I do what I do now. At any point, you and I and Hitler have a subjective experience that we are making choices. In fact, we are merely living out karma, and you can see that. For example, the fact that you asked the question about Hitler is the result of the fact that you have lived through a certain time you have read certain books, you have thought certain thoughts, you have had certain experiences, you have known certain people. The result of that is you ask this question. That question is determined. In other words, it's a highly probable question out of your head at that moment. It's a highly improbable question, say, out of um, uh, your head at that moment. Okay? In other words, you experienced it like you made the choice to ask that question. But in fact, the whole thing was built into you to ask that question at that moment. Now, that's at the level of determinism in the sense that it just didn't come out of nowhere. That question didn't just suddenly, uh, it comes out of a whole set of probabilistic things in you, probabilistic things in you. Now, Hitler, um, the Hitler phenomenon is awesome because it's just like earthquakes and things like that. It shows, it shows the power of natural forces, which are always scary. Uh, blights and uh, epidemics and things like that show the forces of nature, hurricanes and stuff like that, whole villages inundated under rocks 
And in a way, you see the power of nature, of which man's desires, ego desires, are part of it, in the same way as rocks tumbling are part of it. They are all part of nature, and that is, that's the divine mother doing the destructive thing, and it's horrible. So... That's what I'm... Oh, sorry, no, that's this is uh, so. This gives you an idea of uh, of what was going on. But why don't you tell a little bit of of some of the elements that uh, how this thing was put together and what was in your mind to emphasize and make the the leap from science to compassion? Wouldn't it be fun if I could just tell you all the elements and pretend like that's how it actually happened. It was this genius idea I was methodical about. No, um, the truth is, is it was like all things in life. It was an intuitive process where I wasn't exactly sure what I was doing as I was doing it, but we all worked on this together. And it was fun because being you and I worked on it initially and we're just playing around with the ideas. And, and it was, it was coming off of the heels of a project I'd done publicly. It was called a listening project that was lessons for learning machines. And it was about this idea of um, machine intelligence is, is not the crazy thing you see in the movies. It's not the Terminator and all those like robots will take over. It's actually just this very simple um, math problem where you can teach it certain things and then whatever you teach it, you then ask it to do things and it will do it with that kind of energy behind it, that lens, that understanding. So they're, it's just like little kids. People jokingly called me like a Montessori teacher for machines for a while because mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to teach some compassion and kindness and, you know, about feelings and daydreaming and mistakes and blah, blah. And, um, there's one way of looking at that that's just kind of lovely and dreamy. And then there's the technical way of looking at it, which is what does it mean to kind of like the golden record that went on the Voyager because Carl Sagan was a, a myth maker and not just an astrophysicist. What are the deeper codes? What are the deeper wirings? What's the deeper magic of our species and of this interplanetary experience, this cosmic fabric inside of us? that wants to come forward and be passed on, you know, like the branch that grows and the flower that comes out of it. And then the flower after that, it's like, what are we passing on here? So that project was, if you could teach a machine a lesson, what's the most important value to you? And what would you teach? And I was like, okay, Ram Dass is teacher number one on this. Like, and the lesson that he says, it's the last line in the film, the lesson in this incarnation is to love and the power of, social action when we look at the moment we're in in time right now, deep interconnectedness because what we've just gone through is global, deep interconnectedness because the issues we're facing, you know, the shadow issues are also global. And I think what's beautiful about the, the film itself and the creative process we're going through is what is the best way to get the film out of the way of the lesson? And the, so there were a couple of different things we wanted to do with it. One was, it's such a precious thing to sit in eye contact and gaze with Ramdas. <laughs> just the whole, we, we talked about this with Becoming Nobody, the whole world just melts around you and you are just in the presence of loving awareness. Um, you're met in the space between you two, but he induces that in just such an incredibly profound way. I just... I melted away into nothing the first time it happened to me. And I was like, oh, that's that's got to be what this film is. How can you give that to people to, to be seen and felt in that way that actually, regardless of, you know, the body or not, is something that transcends time and space and is just you can drop into any time. So there was that. And then there was also wanting the teaching to come through of love. But knowing that the first breadcrumb that a scientist would pick up on the path to love is the sense of, is there more than just my mind here? How do I drop out of my rational mind and into a more watery, mysterious space, which is my heart? And the beautiful thing about Ram Dass's life journey is he's been in all of those space suits. He's been in all of those roles. And he can speak about stepping in and out of them just like their costumes. Mm -hmm. So the invitation with the film is, you don't have to just have one or the other. Don't worry. You don't have to like only be in your heart and wear white linen and go to the, you know, <laughs> all that. It's like, no, you can, you can have both. What does it mean to just invite in 
another way of knowing, another channel of awareness, experiment with yourself. And I think that experiment is the thing that the film was an invitation for really anybody, but I was focused on kind of the tech and science audience just because this is the thing that they want more of this. They want this heart skill, but there aren't a lot of ways that they feel permission to go there. Mm. And so I'm like, open up all the doorways. Buddha said there were 84,000 doorways, like open them all. Let's get everybody through. That's the only goal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I alluded to it before, but at the same time that you wanted to integrate all of what this Ramdas and the tradition represents, uh, you, of course, you wanted to get in there for you, you, you. And, um, yeah, at times I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> uh, make it happen for you however I can, and we did. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I think uh, a little bit of your own personal experience with the, the direct, um, actually, I remember, right, the moment you, you can talk about, well, I don't know if you want to or not, you don't have to, but you had an experience that I I watched even without hearing the words because it was from a distance with Ramdas when you first met him uh, in Maui. Yeah, it was it was at that breakfast table that everyone speaks about. It's a very it is a very luminous place. Um, yeah, it's it's funny too thinking back on that time because I just remember, like I said at the beginning of this conversation. I remember <laughs> I remember neat like feeling this deep pull and just trusting it and really not knowing exactly what it was but it was very clear what I needed to do which was just get close to that being and and it was funny because I have I felt what it is to let ideas flow through you. I felt that opening to the kind of divine, that conversation with um, the divine. For me, before I found my dialogue around spirituality and many different forms of it, I was like into the spiritual buffet for a very long time before I came to know Maharaji in my heart and then was like, oh yeah, I'm home. But I, I felt... I felt something pulling me, which is why when Ramdas named it, I'm the worm on the hook, I was like, oh, thank goodness, this is a thing. It's him. <laughs> and behind him is Hanuman. And there's a whole string that pulls us all in and puts us together like a mala. And it, so it was like, oh, I'm, I felt like a sense of belonging like no other because I was like, this is what's happening to me. But it felt like a form of madness, frankly, because I dropped all of my Google projects. I didn't tell them that. But I dropped all of my projects and all I did was listen to like Ramdas for like six hours a day for a very, like a long, long, like years. It was like (laughs) years that I was doing that and I was doing projects. But then during that period between the retreat and meeting Ramdas at his breakfast table. It was like he was in my head all the time because I feel like I was doing an unlearning and a relearning that was all about trust. It was all about trust mm. and imagination mm. and finding finding a way to keep open that space in myself that so effortlessly effortlessly opens when you're with him or when you're with, with great beings. And anyway, so it was like all I wanted to do was be there and I did everything I could to be there <laughs> despite, despite myself. And um, so it's funny. I look back on that time and it was like all of the actions of a desperate woman. Like when you were like, you just wanted to be there. I was like, it, that was the only place I wanted to be. And so I'm just really grateful that it was only like, you know, a couple of months. It wasn't like years of my life in that, in that, um, in that crawling on my knees to the, to the, to the feet of, to the feet of Ramdas and Maharaji and Hanuman and the whole, the whole heart. All right, what happened in that moment? Sorry, yeah, I know. Well, it's like you get you get taken into the, the reverie of of what that was. Hmm. Um, that moment was. I remember coming into the house and it just being, like, 
I remember seeing the mailbox the day before because I dropped off a little note and some chocolate that was sugar-free, Dossie, um, <laughs> the day before because I was just in love and just was so excited to get to be with him and frankly with everyone because it's a field there and walk through the door and everything was just like, <gasps> like I was amazed I could still breathe um, to the bottom of my lungs because I was just mm. so taken with the space. But you walk in and it's just like a normal house with people making eggs and people do to do and Ramdas wasn't down there yet. And it, I remember just being like, okay, just just be a normal person. Just try to be a normal person <laughs> and talk to everybody that you've met before. These are all lovely humans. But it was like that inch off the floor feeling. And, and at the same time, having a hilariously neurotic dialogue inside myself that was like, you're here. Okay, like, make it good. Like, you're going to have a miracle. Like, get ready for the miracle, girl. And <laughs> just, and you know, like, and don't fuck it up. Like, that, all that, you know, all the, all the parts of insanity within me. And what was great was it was there was there was so much busyness in there and so much buildup that I couldn't help inside myself. And then you sit down and he's eating his eggs and he finishes eating his eggs and he takes his pills and then he looks at you and you're everywhere and nowhere at once. And mm. it was just that 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 melt. There's nothing quite like that melt sitting at a table with him. And when his gaze comes to you, everything disappears in the best way. Love everyone. He knew he was doing it, wasn't he? But you know, it's the what you just described. I could have said <laughs> in, the exact, in a million words. <laughs> no, no, I could have said the exact same. I could have described it exactly the same. My own first moment meeting him physically, exactly, and everyone, many people who've met him before, who are listening or watching, they would say the same thing. So it's that, that home. But the interesting thing is, though, in terms of our commonality, Ananda, is that when, it, when that happened to me, then it was just like I was going to not stop at anything to get at this thing, okay? And I did. And in fact, I was. Telling, I moved to Maui. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I didn't even know I'd moved here until six months after I had. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, every, mm. anything. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling some people there were people, when, when Ramdas came back, he said, I can't tell you who the guru is, nor can I tell you where he is. And so there was. One subset of people at the time who went, okay, you know, I guess we can't. And then there was another subset that went and grabbed him by the collar and went, tell me how to get there. I'm being a little dramatic, but uh, that's kind of the way it happened. And those people, he was on his way to India. And of course, in my own case, uh, it was a letter at, uh, at our American Express Depot <laughs> saying, Okay, he's we found him. <laughs> that was that was the whole thing. So yeah, and mm. just that I am not there isn't anything else I am interested in except this thing and I am going to get that thing one way or the other, having no idea of the karma <laughs> involved that nothing would happen unless that was gonna happen and the desire, that kind of desire and that kind of one pointedness uh is shall we say, good karmas, good karmas. Um, it's funny. It's almost like everything I learned about being persistent or doggedly pursuing something, meaning like the that, that sheer force of will. It's like the most beautiful thing to have is will that you then surrender entirely. And I feel like this transition and what it, what, what happened with my entire life because of it, it's like that, feeling of you training for that moment to just let it all go over. And what was kind of beautiful too about the film too, I just remembered this and I kind of forgot that this was how it happened, but in working on the film, which of course is trying to teach folks to drop from your rational mind to your intuitive heart. I remember like coming up with all these questions and I was like, Raghu, like, what do you think about these questions? What do you think about those questions? You're like, 
he's just gonna do him in the moment I was like no no no. but if I'm really prepared it will I thinking and you'd be like your mind really likes to know a lot and I was like I do and I want to understand and why this and why that and you you were so patient and tolerant but um the the all those yeah questions, big big quality like, of mind yeah right <laughs> I was like I'm gonna ask I have all these questions and secrets of being I want to ask him and blah, 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 and just it was so funny my mind just being like you know, a monkey that has, has had 18 cups of coffee and is like, I'm ready to go. Mm. And what was what I remember so distinctly, too, was having those questions, not wanting to burden him or be annoying with those questions. And at one point, you know, however many dinners it was into knowing him a little bit better, they all disappeared. I had no more questions to ask. It wasn't about that. And I was like, oh, he's so good at the teaching that it unfurls itself inside of you. That mm. is what this is. That's why it's grace and not a lesson to learn. And I, that for me was like, okay, mm. okay. Mm. Mm. So great. You you mentioned something before. We should uh, flesh it out a little bit, I think. And uh, two words. The first one is trust. And I think we're pretty clear that the, that without that initial uh, happening in one's life and its trust in this case with a teacher or trust in a uh, a kirtan a chant or trust in a book that you read or trust in a psychedelic experience but there the trust is that behind all of this there is a reality and you've tasted it and so then trust gets engendered and then, but the other word you used, which is why I mm. kind of uh, wanted to go back to it a little bit, was imagination. How do the, what is that related to trust? Trust and imagination. Yeah, one of my, one of my favorite things that he, um, one of the stories he tells, one of the, one of the things he talks about again and again is the room of imagination where he meets Maharaji and for me, that space is, you can access it and call, you can label it anything you want. <laughs> is it an energetic space? Is it a space outside of time? Is it, you know, a construct of the blah, blah, like whatever. It's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And it's the space where he meets Maharaji. It's him constructing that space and naming it allowed me to construct that space where I sit with both of them and I let other beings come in. Mm -hmm. And it's like this wonderful thing where, imagination allows you to create a space inside of yourself where you can encounter those things that are beyond your understanding and just be with them. Like I loved in the latest star Wars, how Ray, you know, they're having that funny moment, Luke and Ray, which for me, this is the other thing. Star Wars is like the secret Rosetta stone for talking about like spirituality with scientists because the force is something you cannot argue with. So what I love is I'll talk about that scene and how Ray is like, you know, Luke is like, reach out with, reach out to the force. And Ray like sticks her arm out and he's like hitting her hand with a blade of grass. And she's like, I can feel it. I can feel the force. And then he like hits her and she's like, oh, what? Oh, you meant reach out with your feelings. And I love that. The way mm -hmm. to feel the force in the universe, the interconnected love. That, that, you know, lies within and between all of us is to reach out with your feelings. That is empathy, you know, which is, is a powerful, the, the powerful heart connecting force we all feel because we all share the same things and turns out we're all one. But it's like that, the, the reaching out into a space and what she says in another scene where she's, she asks the Jedis to come be with her. She says, be with me. She's like floating in the forest be with me, be with me. She invites in, she invokes. And I'm like, that is the animating like force of, of all things is to in invite in those forces, those beings that, that bring you alive inside of yourself so that you can be a force of, of good things. And I think, so for me, it's like, that's the same thing. It's like, I go into the room of imagination and I ask Ram Dass to be with me. I ask Hanuman to be with me. I ask Krishna to be with me. You know, it's like whoever I need to pull on from the forces, come be with me. Help me in this moment. Work through me. Dwell in my heart. Help me to be better than just myself in this moment. Because if I do it alone, it, it won't be a service. It'll just be me being a karmic mess. And so <laughs> that room of imagination is like, 
it's an actual room I spend a lot of time in. <laughs> and, um, and then the trust piece is knowing that is real. Knowing that, you know, it's like when people talk about people that used to play the piano that become paralyzed. And if you play the piano in your mind, your body doesn't know the difference. It's like, it's just by trauma, like Vessel Vanderkoek's work is really powerful is the body keeps the score. Like the things that we feel in our indwelling consciousness are real to us. We feel them in our incarnate being. And so for me, it's like spending that time and then trusting that that's real and that that's in my bones. Like, I love that saying that knowledge isn't wisdom until it lives in your bones. Mm. It's like that feeling of he trusted the mushrooms. He, he held, you know, he laid himself at the feet of the mushrooms and went that, you know, was pulled on that path. It's like, I got my early trust from nature too. I remember getting lost in the redwoods once and being like, help me find my way home and just touching the trees as I went. Mm. And I didn't know what I was doing. I can't be like, Oh, I was doing some indigenous. No, no, no. It was like, no, I was just a lost girl who needed help. And I wanted to get home because my mom didn't even know that I'd left for a hike that morning. (laughs) And so I feel like whether it's trusting the tree or trusting a great being or trusting a friend who has wisdom coming through them in a moment where you need it, it's like that that all the tiny and big moments where we hand ourselves over because we know that what's coming for us is better than we could ever do for ourselves. I feel like that's where trust and imagine, yeah. imagination yeah. dwell for me. Yeah. Is hand it over, go to the place, and then know that it's a real thing. Don't doubt. You know, or like not that there's not space for doubt, but because there must be doubt. But it's like the the truth rises up in a way where naming that truth is important, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, there's a certain simplicity too, that we're both sharing related to, to Ramdas and related to trust. And that once you have that, when he says, I just, Mm. I, I hang out with Maharaji. I have a room called imagination. Mm. (laughs) Everybody goes, oh, okay, I can, I, I can do it. I'm not going to be an ass uh, thinking that I'm doing some <laughs> weird uh, woohoo thing, right? And it changes the game. So having that, that just a simple, direct, the meaning of trust, and uh, that is a powerful force. And then you just, you, but you have to do it uh, creatively, meaning, uh, you, you can't have this finality that I'm going to do this and then they are going mm. to speak to me or uh, beyond that. The reality is it, it's, it's the permeability of allowing for whatever the best possible download mm. is for you, mm. you will get that. That's the mm-hmm. real trust. And that, that there is no doubt there. There is mm-hmm. no doubt and it- there. It's also in whatever form it comes. It's Mm -hmm. like, because sometimes I like, I see things and that's the way that I'm clear. And other times I hear things, but it's like, yeah, it's this funny thing where the judging mind, of course, just like jumps right in there. And it's like, that doesn't sound like, or, well, that doesn't sound very. And it's, it's Ramdas has, has been the great permission giver in so many ways because him telling all the things we write secretly inside of ourselves as we go about our lives. He took those pieces of paper out and read them to us and said, I, this is me. And all of us get to say, Oh, me too. Yeah. Thank it's God. okay. It's okay. Being it's okay. Humans, okay. Oh, oh, thank goodness. It's like yeah. such a, it's, it's like this profound relief washes over you <laughs> and then you're open to mm-hmm. trusting. But yeah, I feel like the, the receptivity to 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 what is whispering for you is is the trust piece comes right before that yeah, yeah. so uh, we have this course going on life and teachings of ramdas right now i'm in it i'm in uh-huh. it i love it and uh so there's a there's a group everybody gets together on Facebook and so on. So I was sent this by one of the people uh, that uh, Jackie, who's uh, 
uh, taking care of uh, of the interactions because that's her thing, fellowship. Mm. Mm-hmm. So she sends me this thing from a person named uh, Nancy Clark. Nancy, if you're listening, I'm sharing this. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're okay. No, I'm sure you will be. Um, she's uh, actually the director of Forbes Women's Media. It's somebody you and I should meet, I think, and have been for 10 years. <laughs> Um, and she studied physics at Berkeley a long time ago, mm. and she was uh, first job was uh, at NASA at JPL, who you're well familiar oh, with, isn't that correct? Yeah. And computer programming, all of that, uh, helping women in business. So she's had quite a, a varied career. Um, she's been she's sort of on the side, and maybe she's making that more front uh, frontal for her. Is she's been studying um, basically how spirituality, such as in India, is now meeting up with quantum physics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe now channeling ESB, remote viewing, are aligned with co- quantum physics, physics entanglement and a holographic <laughs> universe, weird and true. Although in the past, as a student, I would have said, student, I would have said that's ridiculous. So this is what we've been talking about uh, a lot, a lot. We have, uh, we still have our plan for uh, science uh, and and spirituality um, uh, up, up uh, maybe hopefully by next year. But it's up our sleeve, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. now that we're getting to the point, perhaps we'll be able to meet physically. Things seem to be getting better. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit because that that really informs uh, a lot of what both of us are, are interested in, both work-wise and personally. And uh, and I know that uh, you're quite familiar with the work His Holiness has been doing, you know, at Emory and other places with Richie Davidson and Danny and so on. Mm-hmm. What's your impression of? Uh, how far along that work has come where we you, we can actually look at people who have been very dogged in their borderline i mean in their dividing line this anything over that line and you you touched on it with what you were talking about before what do you think how far are we coming to get uh, some of these peeps a little bit more from here as ramda said to here down into the heart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what's what's really lovely about all the neuroscientific studies that have, I mean, Richie's lab has done profound work around this, and you know, other folks. There, there has been a there's a massive collective contribution, as is with all great shifts in consciousness. And I feel like, I mean, quickly, just the fortuity and serendipity of Nancy having been at the JPL and talking about these things. It's like, I just had a, you know, I have deep friendships with folks at the JPL. And what I love is our conversations. The Jet where we'll Propulsion Lab. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Jet Propulsion Lab. It's NASA's, knows, yeah. NASA's lab in pa- Pasadena. They're the, the big landing on Mars recently and the photography from there was from JPL. And what's so beautiful about that lab is we'll be having conversations about, you know, oh, well, the planets will align so we can do this thing. And it's like this constant reminder that it's like both literally and figuratively, like we're actually talking about stars and space and how we're all made of stardust and stuff. But I think what's what's lovely is with my with my friends and colleagues there, the ability to have a conversation about deep humanity and about um, the really about consciousness. It's like when you sit in their control center, which is called the center of the universe, I've meditated there before because I'm that kind of weirdo. And you do feel the energy of that space. And we can talk about matter and energy and forces and what moves us and what connects us. And it's almost like if you if you were to be an alien that landed there, and you were to tell the alien before they went in that you were going to an ashram or a monastery. And they didn't know that the saffron robes versus whatever the people, hoodies at the JPL, you would believe that they were spiritual beings because the language of their 
conversations is the same. It's like science and spirituality seems like a Venn diagram that maybe doesn't even meet, but it's a circle. It's a circle that just happens to have different dialects to point at the same thing. And I find that you speak the language of, of the heart that you're speaking to. So if scientists, like my brother was a, a genius and scientist and computer scientist, and we would have really profound conversations, but he would talk about the great math in the sky. And we talked about the same invisible force, but for him, the organization of that force happened to be about, you know, primary numbers and things like that. And mm. films like Contact for us were like, oh, it's the same thing. Or Arrival is a great example of, you know, when storytelling can tell more truth than reality. And what I love in that film is, right, as they're getting ready to meet this alien species, this intelligent species that has come and is giving a visitation from another galaxy, the scientist is like, we need to ask them how they got here. We got to ask them how their physics works. How is their math? How do they make these metals? How do they travel through interstellar space? And she's like, or maybe we could just start a conversation instead of throwing math problems at them. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, what, what's your language? Um, but I think science and spirituality is a really powerful conversation right now because they've been pitched against each other in a way that actually isn't the truth. Um, it's all about seeking truth. It's all about finding a way to trust as you explore things that are beyond our understanding. And it's about finding comfort and wonder in what this whole thing is. And I think the idea that we only see the interface and the illusion and that there is a great deal underneath that, that is mystery to us. That is something that spiritual beings and scientists totally agree on. And I think it's why I love the prescience of the Dalai Lama saying, I'm going to place some bets on labs because magic and wonder and awe come through the human body in a particular way. Dacher Keltner's work at Berkeley is just incredible on this, you know. And Who's that? I didn't get the name. Dacher Keltner, he runs um, hmm. the Center for Greater Good at Berkeley and the um, Social Interaction Lab. And he's done work on awe and wonder and has a book called Born to be Good. And, you know, he's he's one of those great beings that happens to work in the halls of science, but is, is, is a magician and a poet and brings forward the invisible parts of our humanity that we, we wish we could see inside of ourselves, but our mirrors don't quite work like that. Mm. Okay. Give me the name again. I got to get, I got to get one of his yeah. books. He's, he's, a, he's a good friend. I'll introduce you. Um, Dacher Keltner. K-E-L-T-D-A-C-H-E-R-K-E-L-T-N-E-R. Fantastic. Something new. Yeah. That's what I love. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh. What this beautiful wonderful um, delivery of spiritual uh, science and spirituality and, and it was so poetic Ananda at the same time in terms of they seem to be actually science proving out stuff like mm -hmm. how did Neem Karoli Baba how was he able to appear in, in more than one place at the same time with a body that some both people on either side touched? Okay, it wasn't a Simple dream. Simple by location. Yeah, so they are proving that <laughs> yeah, as well. Absolutely, yeah. Qu the quantum physics work has, I mean, it's almost like popular science um, with Hawking and Neil deGrasse Tyson and Richard Feynman, you know, hmm. popular science brought physics to an understanding where like us normal people um, could understand some of these weird things that were happening. And it was, you know, things like bilocation, like what Maharaji did just as a matter of turn. Um, it was just, it was just a way to show up for so many beings at once that all needed him. And the way that, you know, space and time is irrelevant when you think about E equals MC squared, energy equals matter times the speed of light squared. If you take away the matter piece, the body piece, 
then you just have energy and light. And if the matter is transformed, then that equation has to go somewhere. It's going to go to the other side of the question. So you have a light squared on one side, and then you have matter in the form of greater energy on the other side. That explains why people are seeing him on buses in London years after he's died. <laughs> you know, it's it's mm. all these these things. It's why people talk about, you know, Baba Randas as well. It's like he was there that day in the garden. He came into my kitchen while he was while I was eating chicken or whatever. You know, it's all of I think this is that trust and imagination point again. Mm. It's all real. The question is, has science caught up to prove it yet? And what's lovely is that whether it's the prefrontal cortex growing by millimeters, so you can say meditation literally grows the brain. Um, and increases that function, or whether you can see the vagal tone is different in someone like Matthew Ricard. It's like the what's lovely is getting to, yeah, to see the breadcrumbs of what Hmm. we have hoped and known to be true. Hmm. But yeah, science, science is definitely getting there. And I can even say for the quantum piece, there's a lot of quantum computing work um, that I've been learning about at Google over the last six years or so. And when you get down to that state of intelligence and energy, the, the fun thing, the children's book I've never written is if computers are made of silicon and silicon is made from sand and sand is made from rocks and rocks are what are in the mountains and everywhere else. It's like, it's all the same material. It's just how is the intelligence organized and what is it serving? And so it's this funny thing where like the mountains are brothers and sisters and cousins of our computers. How could they be so misaligned in terms of their intentions or whatever? But it's like the quantum computing stuff that's happening in those spaces proves out a lot of this weird and eerie stuff where it's like a piece of information seems to be in one place, but it's actually in another. And when you get into quantum entanglement, it's how am I feeling the things that you're feeling because we, you know, have spent time in the same place together. Like, or you look at like ET, it's like ET and Elliot, you know, whether it's, I feel like whether it's science or whether it's art, there's a a prescience and a truth telling that can come through. Again, it's all a matter of dialect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So great. We just happen to love the Bhakti dialect because it's so (laughs) juicy. Well, actually (laughs) the the reality of what, we've been given is that combination of the heart and the discriminating mind that Buddhist uh, philosophy provides and that uh, Neem Karoli Baba handed that over to us. Uh, Of course, one of the things that he said was, I've done everything for you. Now I leave you in the mind. Oh, God. Uh, you know the other thing ter- in terms of the him um appearing in two places at the same time now i, I just want to define it a little bit because ramdas appear you know people have dreams and darshan or feel him during the day and in and so on and that is uh as valid and uh, a true representation of what we're talking about but when you have actually a volition thing, somebody mm. in a body, it's a little bit different. I just want to, yes. you know, just good say that. point of clarity. Yes. Yeah. Well, and yes, we yes. saw it actually. What he would do, he sometimes and more than once, he would he would throw the blanket over his head. We were just sitting there. He threw the blanket over his head, and then suddenly you'd hear like snoring. But he's not. He's sitting up at the blanket. Then he, he, he'd take the blanket off his head and he'd say, this, anyhow, one time he did say this, the mind can travel a million miles. I don't know how he said a million, but uh, huge distances <laughs> in the blink of an eye. So we felt, okay, he went, and he went, went somewhere. <laughs> In the moment that he, he, you know, we're all sitting with him and he did that. And it was more than once that that happened. It's, and, of course, a very powerful to be in the in the vibration of that happening, you know, which is beyond all rationale, completely beyond. Yeah. Well, this has been great. We could go on and on. First of all, though, before we uh, say goodbye, you you referenced the last Star Wars movie, correct? Yes, yes, Meaning, The Last Skywalker. Which, what's it called? 
I think it's called The Last Skywalker. The Last Skywalker. Like I never saw Yeah, or maybe that. the four. Oh, geez. I get the titles mixed up. Uh, <laughs> but um, I can Google it. <laughs> you're going to Google Go, it. Govinda would be so mad at me. He's a huge Star Wars fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's um, like I, I mean, he's an encyclopedic. Oh, really? Brilliant mind around it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do recommend? Oh, absolutely. Watch it. I mean, I mean, I because I never, I haven't watched that in forever. You know, I watched obviously the first few ones. You know, forty thousand years ago. Oh, I mean, I'm a huge. Uh, this is what's so great about our community too. I think about like Roshi Jones' work with like Joseph Campbell, and it's like it's just this luminous net of people doing work, talking to humans, and whatever they need to hear to to wake up. But Joseph Campbell is what informed George Lucas as he wrote Star mm -hmm. Wars. So yeah. it is, it yeah. is hero's journey stuff. The force is the, the force is what we, you know, what we know to be the force. And so it's almost like this, um, it's it, the space suits are all aliens and kind of space pirates and space rebels and, you know, but shadow and light and good and evil. And really, if you think of it in the same way, like you would, kind of a union dream analysis it's like all parts of it are you writ large on the stage you know and so it's it's mm. space shakespeare mm. but it's just yeah i love i mean i'm obsessed with star wars it's a fun language to speak about all of us in um but yeah the i mean watch them all maybe maybe not this is a controversial point maybe not watch the like the middle ones but i would say the first three and the last three really? are human human canon yes wow, okay there you go yeah. we'll uh we'll mention that in the show notes <laughs> along with everything else that we've uh talked about oh boy okay now it's time for just before i say goodbye everyone who's listening hopefully you're not driving you can't be driving uh now we want a standing ovation for danielle ananda <laughs> that she actually <laughs> brought this empathy to google because whenever you say google and then you go empathy and they go wait a minute oxymoron big time what are you talking about so hurrah i've always <laughs> meant to do that <laughs> and this is my big opportunity oh thank you so <laughs> much so danielle ananda thank you ananda my my pleasure and honor thank you you changed my life ragu so thank you Thank you. Thank you, everybody. This is Mind Rolling. Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And we were talking about some of the great teachers, uh, and they're on this network, and particularly uh, uh, Jack Cornfield, of course. So we'll see you next time. <laughs>